You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Hey, y'all, and welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and I want to thank you for joining us. And I also want to remind you, and I know you just got the lead-in reminder with Optima, but I want to do it with my own voice. Optima 2021 is going to be October 21st, 22nd, and 23rd. And the reason I'm bringing that up right now is because I want you to sign up for, well, my sessions, yes. But my friend who's joining us today is also presenting multiple sessions at Optima. And I have worked with her with my personal training clients. I sent them to her so that she can work with them on their nutrition. She's a registered dietitian and she is an amazing person. It is a pleasure to have my friend Kat Barrafield on. Hi, Kat. Hey, thank you. It's so that was so nice of you to say. <laughs> it's been it's been such a long time that we've known each other. You know, it's like it just happens like that, right? And then here yeah. we go, another Optima's coming our way. I know, and it's so exciting, and I cannot wait to actually see you in person. And so I can see you live, which is fun, but as I can hug your neck and we can catch up because <laughs> that would be an amazing thing to do. Uh, but for right now, why don't you talk to the people here and tell them a little bit about who you are, what you do, a little bit about your education background and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so um, my background is in athletic training. My undergrad's in athletic training and my master's is in sports nutrition. Of course, you said I'm a registered dietitian. I probably have almost, almost, not as many as you, Rick, but almost um, all the um, NASM certifications, including the latest one that I just completed, which is the NASM certified nutrition coach. Oh, so nice. um, I've been in the fitness industry for the last 20 years, um, 20 plus years starting out as a trainer and then eventually specializing in nutrition, sports nutrition, um, and really exercise nutrition with a focus on uh, weight control, weight management, and dietary supplements for overall health. Oh, I got somebody else joining the podcast. I, you know, hashtag working from home. What do you, you know, what do you do nowadays in this new era we're in where we do everything on Zoom? You know, we just, you gotta, just gotta roll with it, right? To be expected, honestly, at this point, and the fact that with your dog doing that, that my dog is not losing his mind right now is really impressive. Can so. I kick him out? Do you guys mind if I just take a second to just toss him in the in the house so that he's not barking oh, yeah. at us the whole yeah, time? Okay, him. let me just grab him and kick him off. And then I'm gonna keep I'm gonna keep speaking to you and singing your accolades. So uh, I have actually had a client that that I trained four years. I traveled with him and I trained him kind of wherever he went. Uh, I would go as his personal trainer. And at one point we were in Southern California, and I knew that he needed some work on his nutrition, and that wasn't really my thing. I didn't feel like that was my strong suit, but I knew somebody. And that it was her strong suit and she lived there. So we went and met with Kat and she was able to put together some programming for, for my friend. And so that's like a kind of a, and we knew each other before then, but that was really the moment where I feel like we, we connected because we had a common client and we were working to help him reach his goals. So with that being said, like Kat's been doing nutrition work for a long time and you said 20 plus years. And I just want to let you know that when it gets to be February of 2022, I will officially have been in the fitness industry as a personal trainer for 20 years. So I'm coming right up on that 20 year mark in a few months. 
That's an amazing accomplishment. Now, let's see. I'm not going to count my years, okay? Let's just not go there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I want to ask you some stuff because I know that your background, so I did not know, by the way, you were an athletic trainer. I didn't know that that's what your undergrad was in because I just know you as as the nutrition person, right? So but with that yeah, being said, yeah. like that's a good marriage between some two different things because your focus in sports nutrition and your work in sport leading up to that uh, has been valuable. And you've been working with Neil Spruce for a long time and I'm uh, across different companies, I believe that that he has been at the helm of and working in nutrition and in supplements. So is there... Uh, tell us a little bit about your background with the companies and what you do, and then I'm going to start picking your brain about sports performance and supplementation. Yeah, it's so interesting because, you know, as you know, I get to work with a bunch of athletes. I got to be, you know, the head dietitian for a bunch of NBA camps and rookie programs, and then also my son, who's right there. <laughs> He's a professional basketball player, too. Spent a little time um, in the NBA with OKC and the Warriors this past summer and their G League team, and now nice. overseas. So I've got to work with and raise athletes. And when you look at the stats and you compare supplement use in the general population versus the fitness, the gym goer, and athletes, the highest use is among athletes. You know, they are interested the most, they use the most, even at the professional level, I'm sure you know. Mm. Um, so they're looking for an edge. And if we don't have some information and some guidance to steer them to, then they're going to go to maybe some less credible sources to try to see where they can get that, that yeah. edge. Right. You Let know? me ask so, a question. Like when, when, when they're getting whatever supplementation, so we, we know that there might be some holes in the diet. So there, there are recommendations that people may not be getting. Uh, when they get those recommendations and when they start to do, and we're just talking about general supplementation right now um, and not necessarily specific sports where you might get an edge, but this is just not even having your basics yet. So there might be some supplementation. What does that do for them? Is that something that just helps the body work better? Does it help them recover better? What's the, what's the outcome that they get when they have what they need? Yeah, so that, that's a really great question because, you know, typically with uh, supplements, you know, they get studied in clinical trials of whether or not, you know, taking a supplement improves deficiency, right? Mm-hmm. Where if you have an insufficiency or a shortage below the RDA, which is the daily recommended dietary allowance, that shortage of that micronutrient may not show up for a while. And so the classic example of that is calcium and vitamin D. Right, particularly calcium. Um, if you don't get your calcium needs met on a regular basis, and in this country it's about a thousand milligrams a day for most people, twelve hundred as you get older. If you don't get those needs met, your body will utilize its own stores, right, from the skeletal structure to to run the important functions that you need to stay alive, like muscular contraction, things like that, that are important for you know keeping our heart beating and things like that. So. Um, you don't feel your bones getting more porous. You don't see it happening. So how did how do you measure that, or how do you even know anything's going on? So from a supplement standpoint, you know you want to see are our clients getting 
all the major um, micronutrition, primarily things like D and calcium, and are they getting enough iron, right? You need, you need iron for everything, particularly for energy. Um, so you wanna look at their diet and see, do they have holes? And really a, a, a good multivitamin will cover the basis as insurance for the 32 micronutrients that our body requires, but doesn't make. And then you can start to add in other things like a calcium if they're not eating enough, like a D if they're not getting enough sunshine, like iron if they have some type of blood test that shows them they're deficient, things like that. So, you know, yeah. yes, it helps the body operate better. And then it could also potentially reduce risk for long-term chronic issues like weak bones, osteoporosis. And right. even in the NBA, as the kids are getting younger and younger, you know, as a dietitian, we saw more bone fractures, you know, just happening, stress fractures happening, kids that are like, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old. And I'm thinking to myself, they, sh they should not be fracturing their bones, right? They should be depositing and building strong bones. Yeah. You know, we're yeah. talking non-contact injury. We're not talking, you know, someone's getting... <laughs> right. Yeah. Nobody's about like slide tackled in soccer right. or they're being they're being tackled in football with a shoulder pad right into the, the tibia. So that that's interesting to me. And you would think also with the impacts that they're getting, that's going to from the jumps from the landing, technically, yeah. that that would be building some strength. But I guess you, what you're saying For is sure. if the building blocks aren't there to build the strength. Then yeah, not in the do. micronutrition, not in adequate amounts. Because if you think about think about the way most people live, like so you need an adequate vitamin D to absorb calcium, right? So you need to and have that's two. why they go hand in hand. That's why, that's why they go hand in hand. Yes, Got along it. with some other cofactors like my magnesium and vitamin K. But those are the two major ones. And so where where's our major source of vitamin D? It's the sun. Right. Well, do do athletes get outside if a lot to train, particularly NBA athletes? No, they're never they're never outside. They're inside. And then where do most people spend their leisure time? They're most people aren't getting enough sunshine, right? And right. Um, and then there's not met many natural sources of vitamin D. It's because most of it's in the sun. And then think about what kids are drinking nowadays. Are they drinking milk and calcium fortified beverages or are they drinking other things? What right. would you guess? Yeah, well, not milk and fortified yeah. beverages. So. Right. So not. So it's yeah. sort of this perfect storm of, you know, not enough micronutrition, which lead, but you can't detect it. You can't detect it necessarily. You don't feel it happening yeah. in your body as opposed to if you're not getting enough macronutrition calories. You can detect it because you start to lose fat or muscle. Right, right. That makes sense. Right? And, and here when you're speaking to this, right, and you're talking about, well, this can end up with some long-term problems. And I've been around enough young people that that are athletes to know that they're not thinking about that at all. They're, they're not. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, and they're they're not. invincible right now. Yeah. And evolution has given us this short period of time, you know, our first 20 years, 20 you know, maybe 30 years to build and deposit bone. And then after that, you can't do it anymore. You just keep what you have. So it's, it's yeah, it's, and so you look at also, you look at the rates of osteoporosis and, and weak bones in our country and it's, it's super high and it's a hundred percent preventable. So I know we're talking about athletes, but it's, it's, it's the, it's the combination of, okay, I know they're not thinking about it, but let's empower them. Let's inform and empower them that, yeah, you're going to reduce, you're going to reduce risk of injury. Now you're going to have more energy. If you're short on micronutrition, your body's going to work better. And then your long-term health, you know, you're reducing risk for chronic issues long-term.
Yeah, gotcha. So, what about what about sports performance and macro nutrition? What? Yeah. And of course, you know, like everybody's gonna hear blah 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 carbs, blah 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 protein. Can we get to the protein? <laughs> like just talking about protein. So maybe let's start off with yeah. the punch of protein and and discuss that, and then we can move into some of the other macros. Yeah, it's so funny. I think that you know the hyper focus is on protein. And I, and I get why, because a lot of our general clients are focused on body composition, right? And you can yeah. argue that protein is the most important macronutrient in that regard. But for sports performance, you know, the, the major gas tanks in the body that, that, that hold the fuel are your muscle and your liver. They both hold glycogen, which is the storage form of carbohydrate, right? And that's what the body burns during intense exercise, so it's, you know, you want to get enough protein, but it's car getting enough carbs is equally important. If, you, if your gas tank is full, you're going to hit the wall. Remember that saying? You're going to yeah. hit the proverbial wall right. and you're going to bonk is the other thing we used to say in athletic training. You're going to bonk, you're going to hit the wall. So, so, you know, they need to have both. And just from a practical standpoint, if you're looking at a sports performance plate, like a, just a plate of food, you know, about a quarter to a third of it, maybe a third would be protein, lean protein sources. And then you want to have at least a third, you know, maybe a, another, at least a quarter, I would say at least a quarter, depending on your sport, because endurance athletes need more or athletes that are doing two a day workouts need more de devoted to good carbohydrates, good grains or tubers. Um, and then you can get your fruits and vegetables and, and things like that for the rest. But you got to have balance and you got to have enough fuel in the tank. Yeah, a, a, about 90% of the population just went, what's a tuber? <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, potatoes. I'm sorry, my bad. It's the dietitian in me. Yeah, Sometimes right. I, thank God for Google, though. You know, nowadays you can just Google it. <laughs> I know. They turn around like, what's a what's a tuber? What's a tuber? Uh, and that's cool because I... I I hear about tubers a lot in kind of the the natural diets that go on with I like listening to books from people like Daniel Lieberman and he talks about the Hadza and these populations that are relatively unaffected by society um, and you know no electronics and stuff like that they're living as close to what they were living 50,000 years ago today and tubers are a big part of that diet so yeah. that's interesting to me and i love listening. by the way exercised the book exercised by daniel lieberman who is an anthropologist it is one of the most fascinating fascinating books i've ever read so uh, yeah. I, I i suggest that not only to you cat but to all the people that are listening to the podcast okay. I think it's a Thank really you. great book i love a good book suggestion yeah, that's that's a good one. So let's talk about um, when. Let's talk about the plate. So I want to ask you a question because you said you know a, a third of the plate to to protein, and you know you're kind of breaking this up. But when you say a third, what do you mean? You mean third of your calories, a third of your of meal. grams. Okay. Yeah, of the meal. So whenever I talk in grams, like nobody understands what I'm saying, except for the people who are counting macros. And so maybe people on this podcast count it. But in terms of protein, if you were to look at it in terms of grams, you want to go at least 0.7 grams of protein per pound of your body weight up to a gram per pound of your body weight. Okay. You know, so that's about the range. Um, that I would recommend for protein. Uh, from a practical standpoint, we could break that down into a third of your plate in terms of that meal, right? Or you can, a lot of people like to base it on body size. So like the palm of your hand, 
right? Without your fingers would be a good way to do it. One serving for females in general, two for males will typically cover it. So that's another way to look at, but the hard numbers are 0.7 to a gram per pound of your body weight per day. Gotcha. And the reason I ask that is because I like some leafy greens on my plate. So if a third of my plate or, yeah. you know, half of my plate were leafy greens, and that's not really my carb because it, <laughs> right. it doesn't really count for much. So right. I'm trying to get an right. idea. Like we're talking yeah. about weight, not calories. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. You, you can look at it a bunch of different ways, but those are the, those are the numbers to pin it on 0.7 to one gram per yeah. pound of body weight per day for protein. All right. So listen, <laughs> we, we've been talking about protein and some sports performance, but let's, can we, can we just chat about just for a moment? Cause I have some, some friends that are vegan athletes and vegetarian athletes uh, and their, their access I think is a, a bit limited. So I just want you to, at least in natural foods, it's hard to, to get the, that protein uh, maybe in, I don't know. These are things that I've heard. So I'm going to talk to you about it and let you inform me. Yeah. So I would say the first thing, the first thing you want to consider is, um, the fact that plants, right. They don't have all the essential amino acids, the building blocks of protein, right. Except for soy, I believe is the only one. So um, essential amino acids, there's nine of them. Your body can't make them. Your, your diet has to supply them. So the way that plant sources work is that they're typically missing one. It's called the limiting amino acid. And that will limit protein synthesis, protein building and repair. So you can get all of everything you need from a vegan or vegetarian diet. You just have to be selective and making sure you, you um, choose a variety of different plant sources to get your protein, right? So classic example is you want to compare grain, rice with a legume, beans, and those have different limiting amino acids, but together they make a complete protein source. Uh, and listen, I'm a big fan of rice and beans, so I ain't yeah. mad about that. <laughs> Big thing. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, or bread, like a peanut butter and a whole grain um, piece, peanut butter with whole grain. That would be another complementary way to put two incomplete protein sources together. So it's certainly possible to get everything you need from a vegan diet. You just have to be more conscientious, more diligent. And it does take a bit more planning to, to, to consume a plant-based diet and get adequate protein. Now, what's interesting yeah. is that we don't have any hard numbers for vegans or vegetarians in terms of protein, because the other thing about plant-based protein sources is they're not as readily digestible as your animal sources. And so it takes a little bit more quantity to get the same amount of protein but we don't have that in the research yet. We nobody knows what the number is. So that's sort of a field that's, you know, needs to be tapped into a little bit more. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. And that makes sense. Uh, and to be honest, like I've I've been friends with these vegetarian and vegan athletes, and some are, you know, I have a a friend that's a vegan and an Ironman, and I, I mean that's that's a, that's an event, right? Like that's pretty yeah. impressive. And, and he's certainly not the only one. They're, they they right. aren't outliers anymore. They used to be. Used right, to be they used to so be. Phenomenal. Like, I can't believe it. That blows my mind. Or people would be yeah. in the NFL or, or in, in the NBA and they're vegan and everybody was like, I don't understand, right? And now yeah. it's like, oh, cool. 
cool. And we do yeah. feel comfortable and confident that these guys are playing and, and girls and women are playing at high levels with what many of us would consider to be a restriction in diet, certainly by restricting and constraining animal sources of protein, but they're still performing at high levels. Yep. They are. And then you also have to look at the micronutrition too, and making sure that they're, they're filling certain their gaps in micronutrition, you know, for example, um, you know, vitamin D, if they're not getting enough sunshine, you know, typically vitamin D3 is a supplement that, that they're given, but that's plant-based, I'm sorry, that's animal-based. So they're, they're needing to take vitamin D2 and they can raise their levels of that, but they need a little bit more right? Or vitamin B12, which is only in animal sources, you know, but typically if they're eating grains, they'll get, they'll get their B12 from grains. Yeah. And then there's the fish oils. You can only get in fish for the most part, right? But you, there are certain supplements like um, algae oil that will provide the essential fats that they need for that. Um, and iron as well. So as long as they're getting, you know, adequate amounts from their grains um, and their legumes, then you know, they should be, they should be fine, but certainly they're at risk for certain micronutrition insufficiencies um, yeah. if they're not paying close attention. Right. Gotcha. I'm, I'm one of those guys that does a supplement for, I do a, a D3 supplement as a, just in case, but I also do um, the omega-3 fatty yeah. acid supplement because I am allergic to fish. Huh? So yeah. in order for me to get those and feel comfortable that I'm getting right. something that is very lacking in the majority of people's diets anyway, yes. uh, to yeah. make sure that I'm, I'm getting a bit of that in my body as well. So uh, yeah. I'm trying to tap into yeah. it. Yeah. And if you look at what's interesting about uh, vegetarian vegan athletes, you know, creatine is synthesized in the body, right? It's also in animal flesh. And because vegans and vegetarians don't consume um, meat, they tend to have lower levels of creatine. And so they can supplement with a creatine supplement and that can have a positive impact on their performance. So whether it's, you know, building muscle tissue, increasing strength, um, power, et cetera. So, um, you know, they might be the demographic that could benefit the most from a creatine supplement. And, and as you know, and as, um, you know, we'll see in some of these upcoming courses that are coming out by NASM that creatine is probably the most well-studied ergogenic and evidence-based um, dietary supplement. All right. Let's, let's take a path in that direction, right? So let's okay. start now with some of these ergogenic things. We talk about some micronutrients. Yeah. We talked about macro. Let's talk about some of these ergogenic aids. So we, uh, mm -hmm. you mentioned creatine, which, which I think is an important thing to continue to probably touch on a little bit more because like you said, it is, uh, I mean, if anything that we know helps, that one does, but, um, <laughs> yeah. but also if we could, uh, talk about another. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> Cheers. Yeah. <laughs> so creatine monohydrate is what I'm talking about. I know there's a lot of forms out there on the market, but in, 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 in regards to the literature, what does the research say? Hmm. You know, the overwhelming body of literature is focused on creatine monohydrate. So that's the one that I would choose if, if you're considering it. Now, uh, as, as Rick pointed out, uh, you know, there's another proven evidence-based ergogenic aid, excuse me. Yeah. You take a sip. I'll take a sip. There we go. Yeah. And that would be caffeine. So caffeine is, is also very well studied, right? It is a stimulant. Obviously it's found na in nature, um, in, um, guarana seeds, or obviously the, the coffee beans, et cetera. 
And what do we know about caffeine? Basically, if you can tolerate it, it is it is a pretty effective ergogenic aid, regardless of the type of performance. So if it's endurance performance, if it's strength, if it's power, if it's lifting, you know, or if just it's showing up for work. Well, no. Yeah, we're just we're just showing up for life, Rick. Okay. Life. Okay. <laughs> so so yeah, caffeine. And again, if you can tolerate, because some people can't, some people can't consume right. it. It has a negative impact on their on their system. So if you can tolerate it, then then yeah, I would say go for it. And and the numbers and the research, you know, could be as low as a hundred milligrams per dose prior, you know, up to six milligrams per kilogram of body weight. I think that's close to three grams per pound of body weight. I did do the conversion, but I think it's around 2.7 grams per pound of body weight mm. pre-workout. And it typically takes, you know, maybe 45 minutes to, to reach peak levels in the blood. So timing wise, that's what you would do is consume it then. But yeah, you know, you want more energy, alertness, focus. And the other thing it does, which I forgot to mention was it reduces your rate of perceived exertion, right? The fancy way of saying exercise feels easier. Uh, exercise feels easier with caffeine and who doesn't want that right regardless if you're a competitive athlete or not like who doesn't want exercise to feel you know easier and you feel like you have more energy okay all right yeah so i I like that and and now we're looking at what we talked about uh caffeine and as a stimulant if people can can manage to consume it Mm -hmm. then it provides more alertness um certainly makes the gym not seem so overwhelming, but then also <laughs> the rate of perceived exertion. So you can be working at a high level and you just don't perceive it to be yes. as high because of the caffeine. Yeah. Uh, can you backtrack and just highlight again, what were some of the the benefits that come from supplementation from the creatine monohydrate? Yeah, so creatine improves strength, power, um, exercise capacity, workload, and then over time, it increases training adaptations, which is long-term effects like building lean body mass. So you want to get stronger. You want to be more powerful. You want to lift more. You want to put on lean body mass. And even there's some research showing that it could benefit with recovery. So, um, yeah. It's, all of the above. It's, all of the above. It's almost like, you know, it should have been made into a prescription drug it's got so many benefits <laughs> right so when i was when i was in maybe high school or college uh, creatine had just started to to become a thing right like as a as a supplement and they talked about cycling that a lot like oh don't yeah. don't consume too much and make sure you take breaks because then your body will think oh i don't have to produce it anymore it's what's the what's the news on that what's what's the update on that is that the same or no, there's been new research showing okay. that even taking it chronically over a year or so, maybe even longer, could have beneficial effects. There's also applications in clinical settings with the aging population, with certain muscular disorders. So there's a bunch of research on creatine and the benefits of its use. And, and I remember as an athletic trainer, you know, we were learning about creatine and and maybe it causes dehydration or it causes, you know, kidney issues and all of that has oh, been yeah. refuted. It, it does not cause, actually it draws water into, into the muscular cells. And so you're going to retain a little bit more fluid in, in your muscles, which could have a beneficial effect on hydration during exercise. 
Um, certainly with, with uh, you know, muscle protein synthesis, helping grow some extra muscle tissue, if that's what you're trying to do. Okay. So, and it doesn't, doesn't disrupt kidney function in individuals that have healthy kidneys. So the research has come a long way. In the last 20 years, you know, I get to listen to some of these scientists at the um, International Society of Sports Nutrition Conference. Right. I get to listen to their, you know, their, it's their work, their body of work that they spent a lifetime on. And man, there are some people who have done some amazing work out there in showing the benefits of creatine as well as its safety and efficacy. Yeah. Nice. Uh, question then, because you mentioned hydration. So I want to go back to, to caffeine. Yeah. So we, we went uh, uh, creatine, caffeine, creatine, back to caffeine. And then we're going to explore a few more. But I, I want to ask a question about dehydration, because that's something that I hear about caffeine or maybe I hear about coffee, that it can be yeah. dehydrating, which to me is funny because coffee is almost 100% water. So what is that? Does that really dehydrate us? Uh, what what's, what's going on with hydration and caffeine or coffee? Yeah. So no caffeine, like you said, it's all, it's all almost all water, right? Like, so, so it actually can contribute to your fluid intake. It does not cause dehydration, particularly among new users of caffeine. What it will do is that it'll stimulate you to urinate more quickly than normal, but it's not going to force your body to get rid of extra fluid okay. because of the caffeine. And so, but as you are habituate to it, then that doesn't happen quite as much. Got so it. it does not cause dehydration. There's been studies on that and it, it you know, okay. it can, it can contribute to your fluid needs and people are, they're often surprised like, wow, it counts towards my fluid requirements. I'm like, yes. <laughs> nice score, but I think I've also habituated, as you said, to coffee <laughs> intake. Uh, what other, what other <laughs> sports performance uh, aids are out there that we should be, I don't know, thinking about or things that are out there that whether or not we're thinking about them are relatively popular that that the, our population, our group as CPTs may have heard about and want to find out from you a little bit yeah. more information. So certainly beta alanine, you know, beta alanine um, is um, an, a derivative of an amino acid. And so what does it do? It, com it actually combines with um, another amino acid your body to increase your muscle stores of carnosine. And what carnosine does is it buffers lactic acid, essentially. So if you have some, if you're working at high intensities and you have the ability to buffer lactic acid, that burning sensation, then you can exercise longer, right? It gives you um, greater, you know, anaerobic endurance, <laughs> if you will. Okay. So, so that's beta, and typically that's combined with creatine and caffeine in some of these multi-ingredient pre-workout supplements. So that's something beta alanine has been well studied, is also shown to be effective as well in, in these more of the, more of the shorter term um, and duration type of activities. So that's one that's evidence-based. And then also essential amino acids. So your free form amino acids, those have been shown to help with increasing muscle protein synthesis, perhaps in increasing your lean body mass over time, helping with soreness and improving, you know, recovery. So that's another one that's out there that can be beneficial. I just did a, um, I just recorded a session for Optima on healthy aging, nutrition for healthy aging. And I was so happy to read about literature on essential amino acids and how it can help older individuals 
Oh, nice. Uh, retain muscle tissue. So you guys are going to have to check that one out. My shameless plug. Yeah. No, <laughs> hey, hey, go for it. That's one of the reasons they want to have you on in order to uh, kind of wet the whistle for the Optima conference too. Is yeah, there, yeah. what's the, oh, leucine? Leucine? Is leucine. It, what is there specifically about, something about leucine and 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 training what what is yeah. that and that's an amino acid yeah yes so leucine is one of the branch chain amino acids right probably everybody listening has heard of the bcaa's the branch chains those are the amino acids that are most abundant in muscle tissue and what leucine does specifically is it's considered the switch to turning on the muscle protein synthesis um mm. Yeah. So they'll, you know, and they describe it that when I read the literature, they describe it as sort of a dimmer switch, right? You can turn, leucine turns on that switch. And then if you've got all the other essential amino acids around, then the, you can actually brighten the switch all the way up. So leucine's the trigger. And if you don't have enough leucine, and depending on who you are, it could be around 1.7 up to three grams required to turn on the leucine, higher amounts for bigger individuals and older individuals. Um, but You've got to you've got to turn it on. You've got to turn on the muscle building process, or it doesn't happen. So, and that's what that's the um, that's the concern among vegan and vegetarian athletes is you got to get enough of leucine, right, in order to, particularly for building muscle tissue and for recovery repair. Gotcha. So leucine's it. It's it's all the rage, and what the science shows is that you know leucine rich essential amino acids formula can help that muscle protein synthesis response. I knew I heard about that somewhere. I knew that was important <laughs> somehow. Uh, good. So I do have a couple more. One, because there are a lot of people out there that are taking um, stimulants that are not coffee uh, or caffeine. Uh, and one of those that I'm familiar with is NO, right? So this, I can't remember if it's nitrous or nitric oxide, because I know that those are two totally different things in the body. Yeah. But can yeah. you speak to, to what that is. And I don't know, are there any concerns uh, with, with having those as well? I don't know. Yeah. So that's the, that's the muscle pump, right? It gives you the muscle oh. pump effect. And no, it's, it's a vasodilator. And so the ingredient you're probably thinking about is citrulline and citrulline also has some good evidence behind it. And what it does is it increases your nitric oxide basically in your body and it allows your bloods, blood vessels to vasodilate, right? Which then gives you that muscle pump effect. But if you take it in combination with creatine or with caffeine, then it, theoretically you deliver those ingredients much more quickly to the muscle tissue. That's okay. why they call it pre-workouts and then potentially able to actually get rid of the waste more quickly as well as you're working out. So oh. yeah, citrulline is, is the, is the most common utilized, um, muscle pump pre-workout. It's, it's not, not a stimulant. It's sort of like indirectly <laughs> stimulates okay. the body, right? Not a direct okay. stimulant of the nervous system, but you know, that vasodilating effect can, can deliver a stimulatory effect, if you will. Got it. Got it. Okay. Fantastic. All right. So I'm, I'm loving everything we're talking about. And I know that we're getting so close to our time wrapping up together. Is there any other stimulant? Because here I, I'm, ju I'm just kind of throwing stuff out that I know. What, what do you know? <laughs> what, what am yeah. I not asking that, that you think that we need to talk about in the next few minutes? You know, I can't really think of another stimulant for sports performance. I'm sure there are some that are out there. I, I can't really think of it. In terms of weight control, there are other things that are floating around that could could have potential benefit. 
Um, probably, you know, we have another whole another podcast on protein supplements on whether or not they're needed yeah. or not. But I think if, if you're to talk about, you know, supplements for sports, nutrition, sports performance, you know, protein supplements, the, the big thing about them, two things, one, they're convenient way to get high quality protein Two, whey protein has the highest biological value, greatest array of essential mm-hmm. amino acids and highest amount of leucine. So that's why it's so that's why it's so popular. That's why it's out there. That's why athletes like it, because it's an easy way for them to reach those protein targets, which typically is not the easiest thing to eat a gram per pound of protein, especially if you're a 200, 225 pound athlete. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? that's that's it's hard to eat that much sometimes. It's hard to eat that much. And expensive. It's hard. Yeah. And especially if you're on the go. So true. Something to consider. True. And a lot of these uh, sports performance athletes are on the go. They are on the go until they get in front of uh, a console and then they play video games just like. <laughs> I mean, so right. really think about it. Like they're young. A lot of these professional <laughs> athletes are really young and that's what they do. They just spend a lot of time. They like they go hard at work and then they go back to the rooms and they <laughs> I can attest to that. My kid does the same my kid, he's 24 years old, right? Oh, yeah. He does the same thing, right? He's it's they're all into the what is it? I don't know what it what are the game consoles out there? Fortnite. Fortnite. Yeah. I'm so, I'm so out of touch. I'm yeah. doing myself. Anyways. Yes. And so gamers actually, they take caffeine and stimulants as well to help it, you know, increase their focus and alertness to perform. Mm. So you interesting, right? I did not know that yeah. um, gaming was a sport until recently. So yes. that's, that's a new it's a sport. <laughs> new information for me. Uh, Kat, it has been an absolute pleasure having you here. I cannot wait to see you at Optima, but it will, uh, it will be through a screen. So that's the only disappointing part of it, but I'm really looking forward to your sessions. Thank you. I'm looking forward to yours too. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Yeah, of course. If somebody wanted to find you, whether it's on social media or maybe they want to reach out and ask you a question, if you're okay with that, then what would be a way that they could reach out to you? Yeah. The easiest way to reach out to me on social media is on Instagram, Cat Bearfield, all one word, underscore RD. Cat Bearfield, all one word, underscore RD. I just created this account for Optima. Oh, all right. <laughs> so all right. it's going to be all things fitness. All right. Unfortunately, <laughs> you're gonna have to start checking it now. That's the problem with social media. You actually and have posting. To. Yes. Yeah. And <laughs> posting for sure. Amazing. All right. So with uh, those of you who listen, you probably know, but you can reach out to me also at on Instagram at dr. and you can also email me rick.richie at nasm.org. It's been a pleasure having you. Thank you so much. This has been the NASM CPT podcast. <laughs>